when John Kennedy was murdered in 1963, a company in this uh, country could only own five television stations or radio stations or newspapers. There you go. And in 1970, when I got my show, a company could only own seven. Now, the worst president in American history, Bill Clinton, and I say that because it is the truth and it's a fact, he signed NAFTA against all the warnings of his signing NAFTA, which sent our jobs overseas. He repealed Glass-Steagall, which was instituted by FDR and the New Deal to protect Americans from Wall Street gambling with their funds. And because of that, the 2008 crash came around. He signed the Communications Act, which turned 95% of all our media over to six corporations, which are monopolies. If Donald Trump wanted to make America great again, all he has to do is take his pen, sign an executive order, and repeal this Communications Act because he is the one that keeps talking about fake news. He is yet to do it, but I think he's going to win in a landslide in 2020, and he might be saving it for then, but I can't predict anything. I'm proud to share with you Tetragen, which helps you transition to a healthier, happier, and thinner you without cravings or side effects. Our metabolic hormones are the underlying problem that doom every diet and exercise program to fail. They control our metabolism, cravings, how much we eat to feel satiated, blood sugar levels, and even our energy levels. Tetragen is formulated with four clinically proven patented ingredients that help rebalance your metabolic hormones in roughly 15 to 20 days, depending on the amount of weight you want to lose. Once your metabolic hormones are rebalanced, you'll be on the path to long-term, sustainable weight loss because Tetragen is the first in the world which is scientifically formulated with four clinically proven and patented active ingredients to help you reach your targeted weight in two distinct phases. Phase one, rebalance your metabolic hormones, and phase two, accelerate fat loss. The best part is that Tetradin comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee. So what do you have to lose besides weight? Learn more with the link below. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. This episode, I have John Barber coming back. He's a Hollywood legend, although you probably wouldn't know that based on how the interest Hollywood gives to him. He has won five Emmy Awards. He's had the number one show in America. It was called Real People. He's the only one to ever win an Emmy both in news and entertainment. He was the uh, personal writer for Frank Sinatra, the number one writer for Lucille Ball. He's had he has so many inside Hollywood stories. And the reason why you don't he's not a household name like Lucille Ball is, is because he actually came out against the administration, against the establishment, wanting to know the truth about JFK. He covered the garrison files, and he stood for truth in this country and paid the price for that. So they can take somebody who's a Hollywood legend and bury him like they did with John Barber. And he's not the only one. They've done that to other people. They do, they've done that for many journalists throughout the, <laughs> throughout the years. But he comes on and he tells some amazing behind the, sto- the behind the scenes stories of Hollywood and what really happened. Some of it's corruption. Some of it's just amazing stories. He talks about, uh, 
Cesar Chavez, his interview with him, Muhammad Ali, with Jane Fonda, with Ronald Reagan, his run-ins with Bob Hope and Johnny Carson. He also, for my patrons, I have the Ford with Donald Jeffries wrote his Ford. He also has five pages of this behind-the-scenes story of George Burns and how Lucille Ball actually ended up being the owner of Paramount Pictures. You will find that very interesting. And so I'll have that posted for my patrons. But I want to tell you too that I had, or we had a little bit of problems with the internet. So I started off, or we started off with video, and then just decided to go to audio only because it just was not working well. But you get to see a studio. He's great. He's a comic. He's a newsman. I think you'll love him. And he deserves a lot more notoriety. He's done a lot of things. You'll hear his real people, how it instigated a lot of things like the Vietnam Memorial. It instigated a lot of things that helped our country just by interviewing real people. Great man, great story, great life, and I think you'll like this interview. Let's get into it now with John Barber. Hi, John. Welcome back to the program. I'm telling you, I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to you again, Sarah, because the last time I talked to you, a year ago, and you just gotten a new puppy, and the new puppy was really upset that you were going to be talking to somebody else and <laughs> chewed up your cords. So I hope you'll that little guy out of the room. Yeah, well, my little guy is with my son. I raised him from a little tiny puppy, and then he was chewing everything. And so I was, uh, <laughs> yeah. So before my interview, right before it, he chewed up my cords, and I, and I couldn't, I didn't have batteries, so we had to reschedule. But it worked out great, so I'm glad. And then I don't get my puppy anymore, but that's okay. I, I, my son does, and I'm glad he has him. But you have an amazing new book out on your life. And, I, you know, I don't think people in today's world understand how big of an influence you've had in Hollywood and in our modern culture today. But you, you kept your morals and your values. You stood up for what's right and ultimately paid a high price for that. You're the only one, you have five Emmys, one in news and four in entertainment. You've had the, the highest ranked television show at the time when it was running with reality, real people, I think it was called. And, but you paid the ultimate price just for sticking up for truth and being holding on to your values and morals. But this book is amazing because you have, you have all these inside stories of the biggest people, you know, stars of Hollywood. You have interviews with Muhammad Ali. You have um, Frank Sinatra. You were his writer. You, uh, with Lucy, Lucia Ball, you were her favorite writer. You have all these behind the scenes stories of Jane Fonda when she was the most hated woman in the America. You have a story behind, about that. Can you talk about some of that? Talk about how you, because you came from, it's like a rags to riches story. You came from this interesting childhood and then got into Hollywood. Can you talk about your early childhood and how that hard situation you came from really framed you and set you up for a career in Hollywood? Sarah, I came from a severely dysfunctional family in Toronto long before it was popular. I was born in the Salvation Army um, Charity Ward. 
I was an, <laughs> didn't realize how unwanted I was until I was actually born. Uh, in 1939, when I was six years of age, my father left his home to join the Canadian Army and fight more peacefully against the Germans in World War II. And I must tell you, quite honestly, up until the time that he left and I was six, I realized that I had had a mother. My major influence in my life, as up until the time I was six, was my father. As a matter of fact, he taught me to uh, count to a hundred by the time I was two or three, taught me to go the alphabet from A to Z. And the reason for this was when I went to kindergarten, when I was four years of age, he wanted to show off how smart I was. And so I had to do this for the principal and the students. The students were unimpressed, but the principal applauded. So I skipped kindergarten. And thereafter, I skipped a number of other grades in school but not because I was it. because after my father left, my mother introduced, to, uh, uncles came into my life like a bunch of grapes. They came in bunches. I came to uh, booze with my mother, to bed with my mother, but unfortunately, most of them beat my mother. And uh, when I was six years of age, I was my time now out on the street. I was either, as a, as a Canadian, I was a hockey junkie. As a matter of fact, myself, an actor named Bo Swenson, uh, uh, started the hockey team, which is still going strong in Hollywood. But in, in any event, I spoke, spent most of my time at a reformatory rink or in the Manor Theater in Kingston Road for five cents, where I could see a double theater. Or on the library on Main Street, right near the police department, where I spent also a lot of time. Uh, when I was 12, I was uh, arrested with a real a dear friend for uh, thievery. When I was 16, I was arrested and convicted for two felonies, which would later play into my life. When I was later twice deported from the United States. I dropped out of school when I was 15. Now, I had become an inveterate gambler. I could not stop gambling from the time I was like 14 to 17. Everything I'd earn or steal, I lost. And then over... Hey, John, can I stop you for a second? Sure. Can we switch to audio only? I think our fans would like this a lot. They got to get you in, a, in video a little bit and they can see that this isn't the best uh, connection. And I think if we switch to audio only, they might be happier. Oh, I have no problem doing that, dear, because it's very dear, difficult because your picture keeps freezing and your audio disappears. Okay, now we're back on uh, just audio. Can you uh, start all, or not start over, but start where you left off? Yeah, yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, what happened, I became this terrible, terrible gambler. And I realized after a couple of years, Sarah, that it wasn't money I was trying to make. It was friends I was trying to make. And then I suddenly realized who wants to be friends was gamblers. Now, I'm the youngest one there. The oldest one was about 40. And there were about eight of us who would meet every weekend. I was always the first to lose, but always the last to leave. So, and you know, and I never drank, 
because of the of what I saw with my mother, a dreadful, dreadful mm -hmm. alcoholic, and I never smoked because uh, what happened is that these guys used to teach me because I never talked about women because I never had any women at that age, and but I wouldn't talk about them anyway, and and they te I used to teach me about being religious, which I, which I wasn't, and then I confessed to them one day. I said, look, fellas. The reason I don't smoke, I worked in this store for a little while, and I stole this carton of cigarettes. And you know, my idols were Richard Woodmark and Jimmy Cagney and Humphrey Bogart. They all smoked, so I tried to smoke. And the first couple of puffs of smoke got in my eyes and burned my eyes. And I thought, who would do this stupid stuff? But I didn't know what I didn't know what to do with all the cigarettes, so I I couldn't hide them or throw them. Away. So I smoked them, and I got deathly sick. And they giggled. And then I said, and the same thing happened with beer. I didn't drink, first of all, because of, of, of my family. But I was always curious why so, so many adults love beer. So I stole a carton of beer one day. <laughs> and then it tasted dreadful. I spit it out. And again, I downed it all and got dreadfully sick. And then I added, and I said, in another day, I stole a dozen condoms. I have 11 left. Well, they howled. And every time I went back to play, they would ask me, Oh, geez. How many condoms I had left? And I said, Still 11. And they would laugh. And, and, and I loved hearing the laughter. And then one of them had the courage to say, what, a, what did you do with, how did you use the first one? That was my question. <laughs> well, that, you're, you're brilliant because. I must tell you honestly, my answer was the truth. I told them I filled it up with water and dropped it off the top of the school building. So that's what happened to, to oh, that. Oh, that's hilarious. So, so anyway, I, I realized, listen, if I'm gonna be losing all this money, Sarah, I better learn what it is that I'm doing. Now, I don't know why it is, but if I pick up and read a book, no matter when it is, it will stay with me forever. And I don't think I have a photographic memory, but maybe by accident I do. So what I did is I went to the library and I'm 16 and a half years of age and I get two books. One is called Scarnian Dice. The other is called Scarnian Guards. And I memorize them and I become an absolute and total pro gambler. And within a period of two weeks, I win $700. This 16-year-old kid from these grown-ups, now if you look at the cover of my book, the book's called Your Mother's Not a Bur Virgin, The Bumpy Life and Times in the Canadian Drop It to Change the Face of American TV. You will see this 17-year-old picture of me in this very expensive blue suit. It was taken in front of Bugsy Siegel's Old Flamingo Hotel. And of course, the publisher, uh, Chris Milliken, put the word Hollywood behind it because that's where I became rich and famous and he thought it would sell more books, which it probably does. But in any event, I added a Stetson. I added a Stetson because I, I was going to go to Las Vegas, Nevada to become a professional gambler when I was 17 years of age. And I wanted him to think with that hat, that I had some cattle and not just a suit. So when I'm 17 years of age, I get this suit, I take the bus to Buffalo and I walk across the bridge 
And uh, uh, the immigration guy says, uh, where are you going? I said, I'm just going to uh, visit for a couple of days. He said, how long? I said, just two days. Okay, so it was very easy in those days. So I walked across. I got on a train. I had no luggage, got on the train, and I was headed to Las Vegas, Nevada with a pocket full of cash. In northern Nevada, there was some kind of accident that stopped the train. Now, here I am, this kid who's been arrested and convicted a couple of times illegally in the United States, and I think the immigration authorities have called ahead to stop the train and get this kid, Johnny Barber, off the train. So I hop off the train, really proud of myself that they're, when the immigration shows up, they're going to find an empty seat. The closest place I could get to was a place called Lake Tahoe, which I'd never heard of. So I got on a bus and I went to Lake Tahoe. Sarah, it stopped in front of the Cal Neva Lodge. It was the most spectacular-looking building I ever saw. I don't know if you've ever seen Lake Tahoe, but it's like Banff National Park in Canada, a smaller version. It mm -hmm. is unbelievably beautiful. So I walk in, and it's like walking under the set of an MGM movie. It's all in Technicolor and all these fabulously dressed people at the bar, at the crab tables, at the blackjack tables. And I walk around absorbing it for half an hour and decide I'm going to gamble. And I go to the... I go to the crap table, and I'm holding my own for about a half an hour, but people are starting to look at me because I'm doing okay. And I think that they can see I'm only 17 years of age and I'm underage. I feel nervous. Then soon people at the bar stop and are looking over. And I thought, well, they can't be looking at me. Then the dealers stop. Sarah, they're looking past me. And I turn around to see what they're looking at. And through the front glass doors of the Calneva Lodge struts Frank Sinatra with his top coat draped over his shoulders like an Italian Superman. He was arm in arm with Sam John Connor, who was the mafia chieftain of Chicago, whom I just read about on the front page of the paper coming down in the train, and they're followed by three Italian Praetorian Guard. A week earlier, I had been at the Manor Theater in Toronto watching the Jerome Kern story, and everybody who saw it will remember Frank Sinatra on this 20-foot white pedestal in a white tuxedo singing Old Man River absolutely beautifully. Here he is walking out of that movie screen and through that front door and right past me. I mean, it was startling. And 25 years later, just less than 25 years later, I became his private writer for four and a half years in a life that was totally unplanned. I just wanted to be an American. Well, that's a really actually a great story. But you did continue on and did some of the most amazing things. I mean, for somebody who's won five Emmy Awards, you are a Hollywood legend, but nobody really gives you that credit because you dared to take on the establishment with the Garrison films on JFK and stood you're a truther. You're one of the first truthers. And you weren't the one of the, you weren't the only one whose career was um 
affected significantly for sticking up for the truth. There's a lot of journalists and a lot of people have been railroaded due to that. But you were probably one of the most high profile of anyone to have well, had that other, happen to you. The, the other might have been my friend for a while, Mort Saul. There's a wonderful story in the book about Mort Saul. My, my mentor, when I, I, you know, I should tell you why I became interested in television. Um, and I, I should also tell you why I, 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 I don't gamble anymore. Very quickly, I should, because for those people who are addicted to something, it may be of some benefit to yeah, them. Uh, I, left, I left Lake Tahoe and I went to Las Vegas and I was holding uh, my own. I was making some money and I'd only do it a couple of hours a day and I always sit, play single j uh, deck blackjack. And there were very few, there were no movies to see, but I went to all the shows. I saw Edith Piaf, the French singer. Oh, yes. At, at the uh, Sahara Hotel, I saw Noel Coward, Mad Dogs and Englishman. I saw Lily Sincere and Joey Lewis. I, I used to go to the, the shows all the time. That was more enjoyable than gambling. And then one day while I was gambling ahead, I literally, literally stopped. And the reason I stopped, I had no more emotional attachment to the game. What it was, I was having an out-of-body experience as this guy who was disconnected from this because I'd become a scientist and a mathematician. There was nothing emotional or intellectual about it. It was all logistics. And I stopped. And I cashed in my chips, and I've never gambled again except on a golf course. Well, my joy was going to these shows. And at the end of all the movies that I saw, I fell in love early with Frank Capra's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, with Gary Cooper, who taught me how to whistle by watching his movies, and I went to Hollywood. I said, that's where I'm gonna go, that's where, and all, honest to God, it was the happiest move I ever made in my life, and I literally started from nowhere. But in any event, the reason I got interested in television was because of Jack Parr. Does that name ring a bell to you? I've heard the name, but I'm a different generation, so I wish I knew more, but I don't. Well, that's right. If you Google him, you will fall in love with him, even though he is dead. He was by far, he was the best and the first of the Tonight Show hosts. He was, and the reason I fell in love with him, because he would, he would have conversations with real people on television. He introduced Gore Vidal, he introduced William Buckley, he had this big fat lady on who used to throw uh, Beverly Hills Party, Elsa Lanchester, very unattractive but hilarious with her show business stories. Nicholson May, the Smothers Brothers, uh, I mean, she introduced, he introduced all these great acts. And the, and the reason I loved him is because I never knew people talked to one another. I thought they either yelled or they punched one another. Now, he, he like Carson, would open with a monologue. So I thought, well, I'll become a stand-up comic. And so I did. I never thought anything was impossible. And the reason was I never had anything. So I thought, well, I can do that. And I did. I became a very successful stand-up comic. I was the opening act for Robert Goulet in Vegas. I was the opening act for Bobby Darren. And uh, 
I became a regular on Merv Griffin's show, and when Merv Griffin left Westinghouse to go to CBS, Westinghouse signed me as a replacement, and I had to do battle against David Frost. So uh, that's that. Now back to the business of being a truther. I am not a truther. I am not a conspiracy theorist. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. The reason I say truther is because it's truther, they've turned truther into something. Truther just means you want to know what the truth is. I'm a that, proud person who wants to know what the truth is. That, that's, that's exactly. I don't understand how they can they can bastardize the word truth, but apparently they have because of how you just responded. That's just, who doesn't want to know the truth? But keep going. They don't, and that's why the book is called Your Mother's Not a Virgin. And it, it came out of the first long conversation I had with Jim Garrison when I tried to book him on my show. And the reason I tried to book him on my show is because I'd accidentally picked up his book in a bookstore and learned the truth about the John Kennedy assassination in an amazing story. And I wanted him to be able to tell the story on my show. Now, I, in 19, in, when, when John Kennedy was murdered in 1963, a company in this uh, country could only own five television stations or radio stations or newspapers. There you go. And in 1970, when I got my show, a company could only own seven. Now, the worst president in American history, Bill Clinton, and I say that because it is the truth and it's a fact, he signed NAFTA against all the warnings of his signing NAFTA, which sent our jobs overseas. He repealed Glass-Steagall, which was instituted by FDR and the New Deal to protect Americans from Wall Street gambling with their funds. And because of that, the 2008 crash came around. I lost a million dollar home and millions of other people lost their homes without anybody going to prison. He signed the Communications Act, which turned 95% of all our media over to six corporations, which are monopolies. I don't know if you remember that the Supreme Court had to rule that AT&T was a monopoly back in the 60s, and they disbanded. Now we have a dozen great telephone companies. Also, the same thing happened with the motion picture studios. They had to disband because they owned the theaters in which they showed their films. And now we have a bunch of uh, successful theaters and a bunch of motion picture producers. If Donald Trump wanted to make America great again, all he has to do is take his pen, sign an executive order, and repeal this Communications Act because he is the one that keeps talking about fake news. He has yet to do it, but I think he's going to win in a landslide in 2020, and he might be saving it for then. But I can't predict anything. But back to the business of trying to tell Jim Garrison's story. Chicanos in L.A. in 1969 were gathering by the thousands to demonstrate against ABC because they said we have no representation. And a lot of companies lost their licenses to minority challenges. You cannot do that today because of Bill Clinton. Yeah, that's awful. Well, and I've heard you said there's six companies. I think it's consolidated even further to five, four or five. But regardless... Yes, you're, you're absolutely and totally right about that. But then the other thing, let me tell you something. 
They had the greatest thing in those days, the FTCC had instituted. It was called the Fairness Doctrine, and then it was called the Equal Time Amendment. And when I had Ronald Reagan on my show, he called to be on my show because running for a second term as governor, and our show was now more popular than the Today Show. So he came on the show. There's a great story in the book about how he wouldn't appear unless I gave him questions that I was that I was about to ask him, and I wouldn't give him the list, and he almost walked out. But there's a great story in the book. But when I had him on the show, Sarah, I then had to have a Democrat. I then had to have a socialist because they could get 5% of the vote. That no longer exists. And I will give you two great demonstrations of how effective the fairness doctrine was and equal time was. The reason the fairness doctrine was lost because of Jim Garrison, which we'll get to in a little bit later, when he had to sue NBC for deliberately trying to disrupt his trial and his case against Clay Shaw. And it and it, it was NBC should have lost their license. A guy named Walter Sheridan was assigned by the CIA and the FBI to go to New Orleans and to bribe Perry Raymond Russo, who was Jim Garrison's lead witness against Clay Shaw. And Perry called Mr. Garrison and said, Mr. Garrison, they're coming down and they're gonna offer me a job. And so Mr. Garrison said, Perry, would you wear a wire? Perry wore a wire. Sheridan went down. They met at a motel. He was offered $50,000 a year to get out of Garrison's jurisdiction, go to Los Angeles, California, and work for an insurance company that had already accepted him. Well, what happened is Jim Garrison brought suit against NBC, which should have lost its license, and Walter Sheridan should have been put in prison. But because of the fairness doctrine and equal time, they had to give Garrison time at 11.30 at night to go out and say to the <laughs> American people, the Central Intelligence Agency murdered our president and Lee Harvey Oswald had nothing to do with it. Well, the owners of America and the citizens of this country are not owners because 100 years ago, during one of the first fake wars, the Spanish-American War, Mark Twain said, if voting made a difference, they wouldn't let us do it. We have nothing to say about how this country is run. And Jim Garrison said after they murdered John Kennedy, not even the president runs the country. And maybe Donald Trump is finding that out as we speak, because it is undoubtedly, undoubtedly true. And we had the fake war of Vietnam with the Gulf of Tonkin, and of course the greater fake war of Iraq with Iraq with no weapons of mass destruction. In any event, the challenge is so successful to ABC's license, they have to give, they have to do a local show for the FCC, and it's going to be a local news show. Forty people are going to audition, and there's a fellow named Mario Machado, the most popular, the most handsome young man in California who was Latin, who was destined to get this job. Now get this, I'm working in the ice house with Steve Martin. Steve Martin is starting his ad. And uh, Mario comes up to me and he says, John, I just auditioned for a, a, an anchor job or a host job for a new news show that they're gonna do at ABC called The AM Show. You should go and audition. 
And I said, Mario, they're going to give it to you. They're looking for Chicano. He said, John, but I can only read. I can't ad lib. You you do topical stuff about politics, go and audition. I went to audition against 40 people, some of the major stars. And I got the show. The producer who hired me was a 26-year-old named Mort Lockman, who's still to this day a very successful producer. And that's how we started. The show started with a .03 rating, ended up in two months with a five, and that's where I won my first Emmy. I gave Muhammad Ali 90 minutes on the air when everybody wanted him in prison because he wouldn't go to Vietnam to kill yellow people because white people were his enemy. There's and a great... you have a good story about that in the book. It, it's a wonderful story. And, and if I have a moment, and we have, I'll tell you the most human, embarrassing story for me about Cesar Chavez. Yes, and if, you, if you want me to, okay, so let me get to the business of Garrison first. So anyway, it's uh, 1967 when he arrests Clay Shaw and he's on the news. You can Google it and he says, the Central Intelligence Agency murdered our president and I can prove it and we will prove it in court. Now the government and the media jump all over him saying he's a kook, he's insane, he's a nut and the rest of it. Now I believe the government uh, because why would the American Everybody did, right? Ev everybody yeah, did. So, but, but I'm a street kid. And I used to say to my friends, some of whom I lost, I, and I'm, I was 35 at the time, and I said, doing successful stand-up. I said, listen, if the guy has nothing, why doesn't government get out of his way and let him go into court and fall on his face? But they did everything to keep him out of the court, mm -hmm. and that was so obvious. So he goes to court, get this, serendipity. And, you know, I'm not a believer. I'm sort of agnostic, but I believe in serendipity. And often things do not ever happen by chance. January 29th, 1969, the date of my son's birthday, another great accident, Jim Garrison gets Clay Shaw into a courtroom. Now, in a very short order, he loses the conspiracy case. But that was never his main case. His main case was perjury, and it would be a slam-dunk conviction. The world never heard that he won the perjury conviction. So he's now about to bring Clay Shaw to trial, and he will get a slam-dunk conviction because they have a guy named James Whalen who was offered $25,000 by Clay Shaw and David Ferry to murder Garrison, 15,000 up front and 10,000 afterwards. And Whalen, there you have the documents. I put the documents on my site. Whalen is saying he thought about killing him, and not because of the money, but he had a very sick daughter. And Clay Shaw promised the greatest doctors in America if he would murder Garrison. That would have put Clay Shaw into prison for 99 years, but conveniently he had a heart attack but before he had a heart attack, government stepped in and prevented Jim Garrison from going to court with this slam dunk case. Nobody ever heard of that. So I, I don't know this. I'm in the bookstore in 1970. I see this book called Heritage of Stone. Oh my God, Jim Garrison, is that the same guy? So I pick it up. I read it on the spot in four hours 
Sarah in the bookstore. The first thing I learned is that he had to sue Time Life to get the Zapruder film, the greatest piece of proof and evidence ever in a murder case. He had to sue them because they wouldn't release it. The mm. Supreme Court, the Supreme Court finally ordered Time Life to turn it over to Garrison. Then there's a guy named uh, Fink who was the um, the only forensic pathologist at what was supposed to be an autopsy at Bethesda. And he is called as a defense witness for Shaw to say that the bullet entered the back of the head. But under cross-examination, he has to admit he never knew that because they would not allow them. Generals, probably Curtis LeMay and others, were preventing the doctors from performing an autopsy. They were not allowed to look at photographs. Well, that's they ridiculous. Were, they were not allowed to look at x-rays. And if you go to the Warren Report, you will not find one x-ray. You will not find one photograph. What you will find are two cartoon drawings of John Kennedy's head in pencil with a bullet going through the back of his head and coming out the front through his throat. It looks like Mad Magazine designed the Warren Report. Well, I'm in shock. I'm in shock. This is truth. This is what you call truth. And so I decide that I'm going to book him on the air. I call him in New Orleans. He answers the phone. And I said, Mr. Garrison, I have the most successful show in L.A. I just finished reading your book. And he laughed. And he said, John, he had this beautiful bass baritone voice. He said, you must be the other one because it only sold two copies. So <laughs> you, you have to love somebody like that, Sarah. So... He tells me I'll, I'll, I will never be able to book him. He cannot. He said that he was shut down. He was shut down severely in 1968 by uh, by Johnny Carson when he was on the Carson show saying that the CIA murdered the president. And that's what they got. The owners of the country got rid of the fairness doctrine. He said so. Oh, geez. So the Fairness Doctrine, that's the source of how they got rid of it or why they wanted to get rid of it, because they realized it was so damaging to their control. <laughs> exactly. But it, and what happens now, you can never hear the truth about, you will never hear the truth no, about you 911. You'll never hear counter arguments about, you know, uh, voter fraud or student anything. loans. You won't hear anything. It's over with. It's over with. But at the time, it was still alive. So he agreed to come on the show. It was almost 40 years ago to the day when I accidentally got the first of four Real People specials on NBC. The first reality show, which I predicted would change the face of American television, and indeed it did. It got almost no rating, but more mail than the number one show at the time. Three years later, when I was fired for trying to tell Jim Garrison's story, it was number one, getting over 20,000 pieces of mail a week. Not only did it make people happy, it made a difference. It got the Navajo Code Talkers a presidential citation. Our story of a man in New Mexico who built his own Vietnam memorial for his son played a major role in getting the then unwanted memorial wall built in Washington, D.C. The story of the birth and greedy death of this one-of-a-kind show is just one of the scores and scores of equally amazing stories in Your Mother's Not a Virgin, accidentally published 
by Trying Day. Unlike any book, it has no chapter titles. Assembled like a series of newspaper columns, you can open it anywhere and read another great story. Each one helps tell this amazing Canadian rags to American riches tale. How does someone from a broken home, a dropout at 15, arrested numerous times, deported twice, broke at 29, end up creating the number one trend-setting American hit, becoming the private writer to America's most influential entertainer and the one chosen by Mr. Garrison to tell his story, and then handed his citizenship papers by John Tunney, all in a life unplanned, just a dream to be an American. If you're the least bit interested in show business, this is a must-read. If you're the least bit interested in the almost unrecognizable changes in our media, our culture, and politics, this is an entertaining, informative must-read. If you just love to read great stories, or more important, if, like most of us, you've had a tough going, but you keep on going, this book is for you. And it is you I hope to meet in my six-week book tour from here to Canada. Good luck to all of us.